0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 291, and we are recording on July 15th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Woohoo! Yay! We're recording a little early because we are both about to go on infinite video. <laughs> like, just, we'll be back in September. See, no, I'm just kidding. All right, we will have regular shows, but we are all about to go on a lot of vacation. So, we, I'm excited about it.
2: Yeah, it's it is always an interesting thing to record two episodes in a week. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a lot of reading.
2: It's a lot of yeah, reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, good thing we like. I that. know. I was just gonna say, good <laughs> thing I like books? Question mark. <laughs> yeah.
0: Question. Oh, this is my job. I don't know. Okay. So for the new folks, how this show works: we are a personalized reading recommendation machine. So if you need reading recommendations for yourself, or for your book club, or for a gift, or whatever, you can send those to us via email at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can put them in the form, which is at the bottom of the show notes on the site. We are both, you know, we never really talk about this, but we are both former indie booksellers. Mm -hmm. So like, this is how we scratch that itch all of these years later. So please send us your questions. Also for episode 300, which is coming in about two months, we are going to be doing an ask us anything, ask me anything sort of a situation. So if you have questions for us, They can be book-related or not. Then just send them to us, um, you know, email them to us, getbooktobookreads.com. We've already got several coming in, and they're great questions, and I cannot wait to talk to y'all about stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm super excited about those questions. Also, Amanda, I just realized I had a housekeeping thing that I forgot to put in the agenda. Oh, okay. So here's a fun twist. We discovered recently... And it, we probably should have realized this earlier, but Apple and Google Podcast podcatcher apps are cutting off the show notes at a random point based on character mm-hmm. count. So we apologize to all you listeners who have not been getting the full show notes. And since there's no way to, like, fix that and give all of the questions and the books we recommend, instead, we're going to be doing a truncated version of the show notes going forward. Well, we're going to test it out and we'll leave a link to mm-hmm. the full show notes on site in that short version. So... You won't have it in your podcatcher, but you weren't getting it all anyway. So now you just, now you will. (laughs) So like nothing has changed for you. (laughs) Except for that. Now you will have the handy link to the episode on site where you can see all of the things plus the form, like all Mm -hmm. of the good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we have two pieces of feedback here. Um, one is from Stephanie, who says, For Jessica, who wanted books on Black history, How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. This is a new book. Um, he's a writer, poet, taught high school history. The book examines the history of slavery via a research tour of various landmarks. Um, and then Gina has a recommendation for Carrie, who is looking for dark Shakespeare retellings. I'd recommend an older title, A Thousand Acres, from 1991 by Jane Smiley. It's a modern retelling of Lear set on an Iowan farming community. Lear's kingdom is some very desirable farmland, and the story is from Goneril, aka Jenny's, point of view. This one is dark. Content advisory for child abuse, including off-page sexual abuse, but it's a gripping feminist reckoning with patriarchy and a really smart take on Lear. I wonder if Jeff knows about this. I feel like a mid. Western retelling of Shakespeare would be very up Jeff's alley.
2: Yeah, we will have to ping him later. (laughs) Yeah. All
0: right, um, I'm going to read our first question. We will hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. Question one is from Colleen, who says Veronica Speedwell series, read likes, please. I read the first book on your recommendation and have completed the series, listening on audio during maternity leave. It's been a joy. Anything else like this would be greatly appreciated. Love it all the Victorian setting, the mystery, the developing relationship, and of course, the amazing character of Veronica. All right, go, go, gadget sponsor.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies. And that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Jen, what Veronica
0: Speedwell read do you have?
2: Well, <laughs> I am going to recommend And Only to Deceive, which is the first in the Lady Emily series by Tasha Alexander. It is yet another historical suspense in Victorian England with a moxie-filled character, female character, which are like all of the things that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So Emily, who is the Lady Emily of the series name, as you might have figured out, was married to this Viscount named Philip, mostly to, like, escape her, you know, overbearing household situation. Um, It's an arranged match. And then he dies, actually, very soon after their wedding. But she, like, didn't really know him. So, like, she's mostly fine. So now she's, like, living that widow life. But two years later, she discovers that, like, he was not who she thought he was also maybe he had like a lot of feelings for her that she didn't know about and she like starts to dive down this path of study based on learning more about him which then leads her to this like stolen artifact british museum mystery situation also she has very you know She's two suitors who are after her hand, and so she's like, Ooh, "How do I? How do I feel about these people?" And I'm a widow, and I have some freedom, but do maybe I want love? I don't know, like question marks. So. It is, as you might imagine, like another very rompy, super fun suspense series for you to dive into. And there are currently, I'm counting, nine, ten? So many. The series is long. There's Mm. like a lot of them. Oh, 14. There are 14 of these books. So if you like it, you will have quite a few to enjoy. So again, that's And Only to Deceive, the first in the Lady Emily series by Tasha Alexander. All
0: right, I picked the Extraordinary Adventures of the Athena Club series. The first book is The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss, And these these are a series of Victorian mysteries all centered around female side characters who did or did not exist in Victorian Gothic stories. So the main character in this one is Mary Jekyll, who is Dr. Jekyll's daughter. Her parents have just died, and so she is alone and penniless and trying to figure out what happened to her father. Edward Hyde, who was her father's former friend and now murderer, is out (laughs) and maybe nearby, so she's in a lot of danger, so she thinks, and there's a reward for his capture, so she has decided that that's what she's going to do. She's going to try to find him because it would solve her financial problems and answer her questions about her dad. And her hunt takes her to befriending Hyde's daughter, who is named Diana, And then they meet up with, like, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, Justine Frankenstein, um, a bunch of women that you will recognize from Victorian literature and form the Athena Club to solve mysteries and support each other. All of them are very, you know, feisty in the same kind of vein as Veronica Speedwell. And they form, like, the narrative style of this book is really interesting. There's, it's from Mary's perspective. She's, like, it's first person. She's talking to you. Um, And then the other characters kind of interject, like, there's side notes and, footnotes you know and like she's writing a manuscript and the other characters have stumbled upon it and put in little interjections like that's not how i remember that you know so it's quite (laughs) it's quite funny um and a lot of fun and i think exactly what you are asking for so that's the strange case of the alchemist's daughter by theodora ghost
2: All right. Our next question is from Emily who says, recently I read a book centered on male friendship and I really enjoyed reading about the friendship shared between boys on the verge of becoming men. I'd love to find another novel that really dives into the joys and complexity of male friendship. Some examples of books I've enjoyed that fit a similar theme are A Little Life, The Kite Runner, and Under the Never Sky series. Just because I mention A Little Life and The Kite Runner doesn't mean I need something so traumatic. In fact, I would prefer if it wasn't as intense of a read as those two were. Excited to see what you come up This is such an interesting question. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the journey that this sent me on. And I'm picking sort of an oldie that I think works really well for it because I actually had a hard time finding newer books that do this. I don't know if I just like I'm missing them or what. But anyway, I'm picking The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Quick content warnings for homophobia and anti-Semitism as this takes place in large part during World War II. Surprise. But yeah, I remember when I was thinking back about this book, I just remember loving the relationship between Joe and Sammy. And you get them as children all the way into adults. So it's not like just the kid part of it. Um, it's the full sort of lifespan and how like complicated that relationship is, but also how important to both of them it is. So to give a little more context, if you haven't read Cavalier and Clay, which hopefully you haven't because I'm recommending it to yeah. you as if you have not. Um, it is set in, like I said, uh, World War II era. Joe Cavalier is a young artist who has like smuggled himself out of Prague to New York City where he's going to live with his American cousins. And he's also like an escape artist. There's this whole fun, (laughs) interesting angle around that. And then his cousin Sammy, who he like ends up having to share a tiny room with in Brooklyn because that's how it rolls like, has all these big dreams. He loves comic books. He wants to, like, make his own. And in Joe, he finds, like, a co-creator. And so they create this character called The Escapist, uh, along with a bunch of other characters. And it sort of propels them into this whole different life because it takes off and they become, you know, sort of a big deal. Uh, And their lives unfurl in all of these different ways. And it's, like, it's so... Intricate, like you know, Michael Chabon is a very dense writer, but some of the books you've mentioned also have pretty dense prose. So I, you know, I feel like you're up for it. Um, it is less traumatizing, I think, on the whole. <laughs> There's some rough stuff, but it is less traumatizing for sure than A Little Life, which is, you know, possibly one of the all time most traumatizing books of ever. And it's it's so immersive, and I and I really do think I mean the whole heart of this story is these two cousins' relationships. So I think you're going to get what you want out of it. Uh, again, that's the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon.
0: I have trauma for you. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> all the books I could find about male friendship were like really dark, and that's maybe something that publishing should try to solve. Yeah. So I picked The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, um, which comes with trigger warnings for racism and sexual abuse. And it takes place in the 1960s in Florida. It's based on the history of a reform school in Florida for black young men. Um, And the main character's name is Elwood. He is a devotee of Dr. Martin Luther King and has taken a lot of his teachings to heart and is trying to live according to what, you know, King says is like the right way to live. And so his parents left him when he was a child. He's been raised by his very strict but very loving grandmother. And he's enrolling in a local black college that advertises itself as a place that will provide like moral and intellectual training for honorable young men. It's called the Nickel Academy. So he joins and discovers that it is actually a horrifying hellscape. Um, and there's, you know, it's run by really corrupt officials who take the supplies intended for the school and sell them on the side. The guards are awful. And every boy who tries to make change or complain or say anything um, usually, like, disappears. And so he finds himself kind of stuck here in this horrible, vicious place, still trying to maintain what... He has learned from Martin Luther King and then he meets a new friend named Turner who, of course, thinks that Elwood is like naive and probably going to end up dead. And Mm. Turner, Turner's point of view is much more cynical that the world is awful and that the only way to get by and, and succeed or even survive is to emulate the behavior of the people who are oppressing you. And so these two worldviews really clash in these two friends, but they manage, you know, a, a, a really close relationship as the book carries on. And so you're with them as they try to survive and figure out the best way. Is it like love the person who has their boot on your neck? Or is it break their ankle? Like, which is the best? What options do you even have? You know, wrestling with that question. So that is the Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. All right, question three is from April, who says within the last year, I've been working with a Muslim Pakistani American woman who loves to talk about her faith, traditions and family. Though we don't always agree on things, I find her passion and opinions very engaging. Recently, she was telling me about an arranged marriage that she's been involved with, setting up for her niece, per her niece's request. Though I've encountered arranged marriages in my reading before, it always inhabits the role of a tradition being pushed on someone who does not want it. I'm curious to know if there are any books out there that instead reflect my co-workers' lived experience of wanting to be part of this tradition, which resulted in a happy, healthy marriage. I think I'd prefer something like a contemporary romance if possible, but I'm open to whatever you suggest. Also, I'm not a
1: particular fan of children. So
0: I tend to prefer books not centered around pregnancy, or the driving desire to have a children or a family. Okay, I'm gonna keep going. I picked a YA romance for you. Uh, It's When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon. And these are older, like they're out of high school and are about to go to college. So I think it's, you know, like old enough for somebody who doesn't really want to read about kids. So Dimple has convinced her parents to let her go to this summer program for aspiring web developers, which was quite a feat because her mom in particular is like very obsessed with having her meet a nice boy and get married, but like maybe she'll meet a nice coder at camp. So fine. So she lets her go. Rishi is the other main character. He is a lovely little cinnamon roll of a boy. He's a hopeless romantic. His parents have arranged a marriage for him and he finds out that his future wife, who he has never met, will be attending the summer web development program that they have enrolled him in. Yes, it's Dimple. No, she does not know that her parents have arranged for her to get married. She knows nothing about this. So when he finds her in, like, on campus and approaches her and is like, hey, future wife, she's, like, convinced that someone is trying to assault her and, like, throws an iced coffee at him and runs away, like, terrified. They come back together. He explains what's going on. She is, of course, understandably furious, but actually does quite like him. Like, he's a very nice person. He's interesting. He's an artist. So they kind of hit it off. And then the rest of the book is about this kind of tension, right? Like, Rishi very much wants to participate in his cultural tradition. He respects his parents. He's into this, like, idea for his life. Dimple is much more hesitant. She doesn't... She she has no interest in getting married. She has no interest in having children. She's very career-oriented. But she likes him. And like, would it be sacrificing her independence to admit that she has feelings for someone her parents arranged for her to marry? Like, that's a really complicated situation. But Rishi is like 100% here for this tradition and doing what his parents expect of him in a really like loving and respectful way. He's just beautiful. I love him so much. I, love- <laughs> I would not throw iced coffee at you, Rishi. I would feed <laughs> you. I love you. Well,
2: you would if he came up to you and said, hello, future wife, and you didn't know him. Let's be. Yes, 1000%. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely true. You're right. Okay, so that's when Dimple met Rishi by Sandhya Menon.
2: <laughs> I love that book too. It's so good, <laughs> really fun. So I came at this from a slightly different angle because I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how we in like especially white folks in the West have a lot of stereotypes around how arranged marriages work and like who does them. And mm. so I'm picking a different cultures arranged marriage book for you because it does exist in other cultures. I mean, literally, we're just talking about the Victorian era, which is like full of arranged marriages. Yeah, that's but true. anyway, point being, I am recommending The Bride Test by Helen Huang, which is about Vietnamese and Vietnamese American characters who are set up through an arranged marriage. The like, crux of this is that Kai, who is the son of this like very busybody, you know, matriarch um, is, you know, he he's autistic and he doesn't think he has any feelings because of some things that have come up in his past. Oh, this is where I give a content warning for ableism. And like he he feels accepted and loved by his family, but he just doesn't feel like anything outside of that is really real or even possible for him. And so he's like not doing the relationship thing. So his mom is like, OK, I'll fix this. So she goes to Vietnam and like starts auditioning young women that she thinks might be a good match for him. And in the course of this, she meets Esme, who is working at a hotel in Vietnam. She, like, she's mixed race, so she's always been a little bit fish out of water in Ho Chi Minh City. Um, And she is from a very poor background. She's not expecting, like, anything. But she encounters this matriarch and somehow, like, ends up getting an offer for this matriarch to send her to America to meet her son, and, like, and the matriarch is, like, you, you know, no pressure. Like, just, I mean, I think you two will really hit it off. But, like, mm-hmm. if you go, I will give you a lot of money whether or not you end up marrying him. So, is like, obviously the answer is yes. Like, mm-hmm. I need the money. Yes. I don't even have to, like, marry this guy. Like, sure, I will go. Kai, of course, has no idea what's going on when this woman turns up on his doorstep. He's, like, what have you done, Mom? It's a mm-hmm. whole situation. And then, so they are, like, in this house together and Kai is not interested. Esme is there to like do the thing because it's practical and pragmatic and that's what she is. And then of course, you know, it is a romance novel. So things unfold from there. But I think all of the characters feelings around how the arranged marriage work are like extremely interesting and like, like I keep saying the word practical, but it is like a practical kind of thing that then gets feelings layered on top of it. It's very, it's really well done. I love, this book i also love that it's based in part on the author's mother's story which is really interesting and cool like there's a beautiful author note at the end and uh yeah so i just and i also thought like i don't know if this coworker of yours is like the kind of person to do a two-person book club but like y'all could read it together and talk about like the cultural differences and your own impressions of the characters like it could be a fun you know buddy read situation so again that is the bride test by helen huang All right. Our next question is from Allison, who says, I'm this close to finishing the currently available Rivers of London books by Ben Aronovich. Thankfully, the next book comes out soon, but I don't know what I'm going to do with myself after that. I love the mystery slash paranormal combination. I've read a ton of French and my favorites were the ones where you questioned reality a bit, especially The Secret Place. I'm good with YA and in that vein, I've already read The Shades of London series by Maureen Johnson. What should I read next? I just want to take a pause here and appreciate that somebody else says like oh, obviously, this is not like a 100% reality about The Secret Place, because I don't hear other people talk about that ever, but that was 100% my take on it as well. Like, this is like not 100% reality, right? Like, come on now.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I've never, I've only read one ton of French. I believe you.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, anyway, thank you, Allison, for, you know, co-signing my feelings about that one. Amanda, what did you pick?
0: Um, I picked the Kendra Donovan series by Julie McElwain. The first book is A Murder in Time. And this is a series about an FBI agent named Kendra Donovan, whose paranormal situation becomes accidental time travel. So when the book opens, she has been involved in a really disastrous raid where um, a bunch of her team, like half of them, I think, uh, of her team are murdered. And there's a mole in the FBI. She and she finds herself severely wounded. So, um, as soon as she recovers, she kind of goes rogue and decides that she's going to go find the uh, the mole who is responsible for the death of her teammates. And so, in doing this, she finds herself in England undercover as a like a waitress at a really historical estate, like a country estate that's hosting a like a living history event. And so she is posing as a waitress. She's dressed in period clothing and she's like hunting down this dude who was at this event. Um, she He ends up chasing her. She ends up in escaping into like a secret stairwell. And when she comes out again after the guy leaves, um, she is not in pre- the present day. She's in this castle, but it's 1815. Like she stumbles back out and the room is different. It's fully furnished. There are candles. There's also like a dude in the room who is not the guy who was trying to kill her, who's in period. Clothing, And of course, she's like, she thinks something strange is that maybe I passed out and the party is still happening. And that's who these people are. But no, it is 1815. And so she gets mistaken for a lady's maid that's been hired to stay over through the weekend while there are like a lot of guests at the castle. And so she has to pretend that that is what she is. Without giving herself away, which is pretty hard, especially when a body turns up. Um, A a servant ends up dead, really like brutally murdered. And she is, of course, an FBI agent and like tries to help, but it's 1815 and she's a maid and a woman and is not even supposed to like know how to read. So when she comes and is like, let me see the dead body, you know, everybody (laughs) in the castle freaks out. Um, And then she starts using these forensic techniques that don't exist, like, were not invented in 1815. Things like, footprint analyzation she's like trying to get fingerprints that was definitely not a thing um she's going over all of this evidence that makes no sense to anyone around her also one of the guests at the party starts to like kind of sniff around her um partially to be like who is this person but also because like she's real pretty so that's a wrinkle (laughs) and she has to figure out how to get back to you know 2016 (laughs) when the book was written Um, and so all of that is rough like that's a rough she's having a bad week kendra so that is a murder in time by julie
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. So yes, this is this is a thing. And I am dropping a post for you also, in addition to our recommendations, because we do have a post dedicated to paranormal mystery books. Uh, so my recommendation is Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older, which is sort of a Get Book Chestnut, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. we've recommended it before, but from the from your question, it sounds like it's not on your radar. And it 100% should be. I think it's a great comp in a lot of ways to the Rivers of London series. This is, oh, it is a series. It's the Bone Street Roomba series. And it takes place in, like, modern-day New York City. And the main character, Carlos, is an agent for the New York Council of the Dead, like you do. And the, he is, like, a special agent because he is sort of dead, but kind of not. Like, it's, it's, he inhabits this weird, like, he can interact with the spirit world and other, like, dead things, ghosts, whatever. But he is, like, also a little bit alive. So he can interact with the regular world as well. And that makes him special. And they're not supposed to be really anybody else like him. He's supposed to be unique. However, they figure out that that is not true. There's some sorcerer who is, like, summoning terrible spirits and, like, infesting bed with them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, other New York Council of Dead agents are getting killed. And they send in Carlos to try to figure out, like, what is going on? Stop this sorcerer. But nothing, of course, is as it seems. It's so page-turnery, and I love the balance of the paranormal and mystery elements, because there are parts of it that feel so, like, detective-y procedural, and then there are these other parts that you're like,
1: wow,
2: like, there's crazy stuff going on in Prospect Park, like, it's so much fun. I think especially because I used to live in New York and am very familiar with a lot of these locations, it, like, adds an extra level. But I think even if you're not, like, in the same way that even if you have not lived in London, you can enjoy Rivers of London, like, I think you will definitely enjoy this book. It's very immersive, very atmospheric. The characters are great. So again, that's Half Resurrection Blues by Daniel Jose Older. And now it's time for another sponsor.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read, and I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my
0: he mm-hmm. will
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, little romance, little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body but also for the fabric of space-time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Kalyan Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. <laughs>
0: Okay, question five is from Debbie, who says, I would love to read more books about or that have houses that are alive or sentient. The books that I've read so far are White is for Witching, The Innkeeper Chronicles, my favorite fun house, and the All Souls trilogy. Any suggestions? Okay, we actually have a post about this as well. (laughs) Books about houses that are alive. So I will drop that into the show notes. I'm picking a classic The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. This is a creepy, creepy book and Netflix series. The Netflix series has nothing to do with the book after the first like 30 seconds, though. So I don't know. Oh, Take that with a grain of salt. Um, But this is about four characters, uh, a Dr. Montague, who is a scholar of the occult who is at this house looking for like evidence of hauntings that he can take back to his academic peers. Um, Theodora is his assistant. Eleanor, who is a really, like, very fragile, mentally fragile woman um, who is there because she has experience with poltergeists. And then Luke, who is uh, the future heir of this house. And so there's, you know, stay seems pretty normal. At first, it's a creepy old house and like creepy old houses are going to seem haunted whether they are haunted or not, right? Just by virtue of being creepy and old. And that's kind of what they experience. Like, it seems, you know, they hear weird noises, could be the house settling, could be whatever. But then things get increasingly weirder, and then you start to realize that the house is, like, knows that they're there and is gathering itself, or perhaps... Perhaps Eleanor is just losing her mind. And like, that is the perspective that you're getting through most of the book is her. Um, and so maybe she's just, because she is such a fragile person, maybe all the stress of being in such a weird situation and the trauma of her previous experience with the paranormal is causing her to lose her mind. And so you are kind of trying to figure out which one it is. Um, but the house is creepy and it's not, it's not sentient in the way that like it's not going to talk to the reader, but you can tell you can tell that it's aware and there to like get you so that's the haunting of hill house by Shirley Jackson
2: yeah so forgive me because i <laughs> picked a short story collection that includes a a li- an live and a live house but i picked it because it was literally all I could think of when I was thinking about this question. Like, I couldn't not think about this one short story. And the whole collection is great. Like, it sounds like you enjoy, you know, gothic supernatural stories, so you're going to want to read the whole thing. But specifically, there is a really messed up house that is alive and, like, eating people, (laughs) question mark. The collection is Fen by Daisy Johnson. And... It's so, it's set in this uh, sort of area where, like, it's like a neighborhood, I guess. Mm. Um, and there's, like, you know, moors and, you know, houses and people and, like, the whole, like, nine yards of, like, here, here's a place. And then every story explores, like, a different aspect um, in that area. And it is very dark. As you might expect, I mean, it's, I'm talking about a house that like potentially is eating people. Uh, and <laughs> there's like body horror and. Just all of the dark things. But Daisy Johnson is so good at it. Like, it's just, I and I don't even really like that much horror, but I mm. was totally wrapped by this collection. Like, it really held on to me, even when I was like, oh, God, no, like, look away. I can never <laughs> see this. Um, so I think you're really going to dig it. And like I said, I, they're like, the house story is impossible not to remember forever. So enjoy. Uh, again, that's "Fen" by Daisy Johnson. All right. Our next question is from Anne, who says, I'm currently reading The Great Alone by Kristen Hannah, and can already tell I will be looking for another Alaska survival type book after this. I'm loving the powerful females in this story and the story that occurs while surveying the elements, not only focused on the elements. I'm looking for something similar. Amanda, what you got?
0: I also picked a kind of get booked chestnut <laughs> as you if you will uh, which is two old women by Velma Wallace and this is based on an Athabascan Indian legend um, about and th- th- this is a tribe of people who live in the upper Yukon in like uh, in Alaska um, and so you know it's cold <laughs> if you, as you can probably guess, so this is about a tribe with two old women um, who are facing a winter without a lot of supplies. And so the tribe makes a decision to leave the two old women behind because they are extra mouths to feed that are not contributing really to the well-being of the tribe anymore and they can't afford to keep them around. So they abandon these women to fend for themselves and move on. But instead of succumbing to, you know, pretty immediate death or from exposure and starvation, the two women decide that like, screw you guys, like Jay finger to all of these people who just left them there and they decide that they're going to make it. So they go on about like getting back into shape, rediscovering their skills that are rusty from, you know, not having to use them for a long time. They start hunting, they start establishing a shelter, they survey a place to like establish their home base, make all of their own supplies because they're not really left with much. And they kick butt and take names like they aren't just surviving they end up really really thriving there's a very satisfying ending in this book when the tribe returns to find them that I'm not going to like spoil what happens but Yeah, they definitely like get into the elements. And of course, it is, you know, a book about the elements and survival during the cold. But it's told from this perspective that we almost never get, you know, like we don't there first, there aren't a lot of books about elderly people in general, but elderly people, specifically women like surviving, and then being really, really good at it on their own. This is the only one that I've ever really found. So that's Two Old Women by Velma Wallace.
2: So I am not giving you Alaska, but I feel like I'm giving you everything else that you want. And I think it sounds to me like perhaps it's more about the relationship to the environment than the specific environment, or at least that's what I'm telling myself to justify my pick, which is How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang. And side note, we picked this over here at Book Riot as the best book of 2020. Uh, Elizabeth Cook wrote it up. So, like, we support it. Like, it's a good book. And this is about two siblings who are in sort of the wilds of... California during the Gold Rush. Uh, so they are newly orphaned, Lucy and Sam. Um, they are the children of immigrants. Their parents like die slash leave them, and they have to fend for themselves. And of course, there's like you know buffalo and miners and like all. Co- it's like not a it's not a hospitable environment for two orphan children, obviously. And they're also struggling with like how do they interact with each other? How do they in Incorporate their Chinese heritage with, you know, this new situation, then new cultures that they find themselves in. How do you, like, interact with the people around you and how they see you? Like, there's so many complicated intense things going on so it's very much a survival story both of the elements and of other people which I think you know is is like so juicy and interesting and the book is just so well done I mean really 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 well done so I think you're gonna get like a lot of the same vibes and really enjoy it Um, even though it's not Alaska California still pretty wild at this point in California's history well I mean today come on there's some wild things happening out there. So again, that is How Much of These Hills is Gold by C. Pam Zhang.
0: All right. Our last question is from Melissa who says having read *Gigarella*, The Pros of Cons, and Ship It, can you recommend more novels about cons? Con we ever I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <sighs> nailed it okay so my <laughs> recommendation for melissa is tash Hart's tolstoy by katherine ormsby which is a ya novel um, about a girl named tash uh natasha who is a web but like a, a vlogger is the word that the that the youngins <laughs> use um she is a filmmaker she has a new web series called unhappy families which is a modern retelling of anna karenina and it has gone viral, like it's picked up or like tweeted about or something by like another famous vlogger. Um, and so she suddenly finds herself with like 40,000 new subscribers and all of their adoration and, um, you know, and all of that. Um, and so she gets nominated for a Golden Tuba Award and is invited, you know, like the YouTube whatever kind of version or no, the Webby, I think is what it's supposed to be. And so she gets invited to their conference and which has an awards ceremony where she will, you know, go up on the stage or whatever if she wins. And her fellow award nominee, Tom Causer, is also going to be there. And she has a, like, online flirtation with this guy and is very interested in attending this con and meeting him in real life and seeing if there's anything there. The wrinkle here is that she is a romantic, asexual woman. And so she's not planning to sleep. Has, like has no desire to sleep with him and has not told him this. So she doesn't know how that's going to go. Um, she also has um, her best friend and her best friend's brother, who are, like, a, a nice little friend group. They all, they help her make her web series. Um, she is out to them, and that has caused some some interesting things to happen with the brother. Um, so there's all of these, like, romantic sidelines, storylines going on, all set under the umbrella of her trying to make it to this conference. And, like... Is she gonna win? Because she's doing this thing that she loves, you know, and she's also kind of like when met Rishi. This is an older, I think, kind of way. She's, you know, looking at college and all of that. So yeah, so that's Tash, Hearts Tolstoy by Catherine Ormsby.
2: I picked Queens of Geek by Jen Wilde, which I think I love the tagline of this book. Are you ready? Three friends, two love stories, one convention. (laughs) that's so fun. I love it. Uh, Anyway, so obviously this book takes place at a con. It's called Supacon. And we have a few characters. Uh, One is Charlie, who is both a vlogger and actress. And her first movie has just come out. So she's going to promote it. And also she has had, like, a very public breakup with her co-star in the movie. So now she's, like, trying to be like, look, I'm fine. Like, everything's cool. And of course, also her crush, who is another actress, is like shows up at the con, and Charlie has. All kinds of feelings about that. And then Taylor, who is an autistic character, is there and she's like trying to, you know, do the thing. There's a fan contest for her favorite fandom. So she's like, oh, I want to do this thing, but like, how will I do it and how will I interact? And like, oh, that, it's going to push me outside my comfort zone, which I'm not super excited about. Also, there's this like complicated, like, are we friends or do I have more than that feelings for my best Skyfriend Jamie like complicated complicated so lots of feelings flying around all in this you know very intense environment of a con which if you've ever been to a con you know how that goes it's like a lot uh and yeah I think this is gonna absolutely fit into your wheelhouse of con <laughs> books so again that is Queens of Geek by Jen Wilde and that is our show Thank
0: you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. And thank all of you for listening, of course. For more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookwright.com slash listen. And please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have time, it helps, you know, make the show easier to find. Thank you to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And where is Jen?
2: I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. Jen with two N's IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL.
0: And we will be back next week.